Hello and welcome to another episode of Shit Happens Then Life. My name is Justin Hungle and I will be navigating you through the fecal matter once again this week. Today we will be discussing African mythology. But before we can embark on such a journey, I feel it only befitting that we start at the very beginning with its name and the origin of such. From Latin, Africa, from Afri, meaning inhabitant of the country of Carthage. In turn, either from the Punic or Phoenician word, afar meaning dust. The Berber word Ifri or the plural Ifran meaning cave in reference to the cave dwellers of Tunisia. Ancient Greek, frica, meaning without, cold, or Latin, aprica, meaning sunny. Hannibal Barker would not only be remembered for his ability to incite fear, but also to outthink his opponents. The greatest military leader was born in Carthage in 247 BC to Hamilcar Barker the great general of the First Punic War. Carthinians were a people from ancient Carthage, modern Tunisia and the northeastern part of Algeria, who trace their origins back to the Phoenicians. Hannibal would later become the Carthinian general during the Second Punic War. For these wars were fought between the cities of Carthage in North Africa and Rome in Northern Italy for supremacy over the Mediterranean region. When Hannibal's father died, he assumed command of the army at the age of 26. His crossing of the Alps, according to history, was one of his most significant achievements. Knowing full well that the journey would be difficult Hannibal planned ahead by having scouts report to him on particular conditions. On his way, he would portray himself as a liberator, freeing the people of Spain from Roman control, just to be able to win these people to his side. By the time he had reached the Alps, his army had amassed and increased with new recruits, 50,000 infantry and 9,000 cavalry. Hannibal also had with him about 40 war elephants, which he was going to use to terrorize the Roman army and their cavalry. During the ascent of the Alps, Hannibal had lost several of his troops, as they not only had to battle the weather, but attacks from hostile tribes who had lived in the mountains. By the time they had reached the other side, Hannibal's army had been reduced to about 26,000 men in total and a few elephants only. However, still determined to gain victory, Hannibal had led his men down onto the plains of Italy, once again portraying himself as a liberator to get the cities to side with him against Rome. His army had joined these people who had now formed an anti-Roman force in northern Italy. And the main assault on the Romans had begun. You see, Hannibal had been recalled to Africa to defend his homeland against an invasion by the Roman general Pibulus Cornelius Scipio. And for nearly 20 years, Hannibal had waged war from Spain to Italy without ever seeing his native land. Coming home must have been an unusual experience for this man. Spending most of his adult life, about 15 years, guys, just fighting Romans in Italy. And on the eve of battle, something that, mo that didn't happen frequently, Hannibal requested a meeting with Scipio. And the two men sat face to face across the table from each other and... Hannibal, for the first time, was not keen to fight. Having the superior force, I think it was about 50,000 men to, 40, to Scipio's 45,000 men, and those war elephants that they had, 
Hannibal still tried to negotiate peace terms, and they were flattery uh, they were flatly refused by the Roman general. Hannibal was still giving orders to his men when the elephants were surprised by the sudden advance of the Romans. And because of these loud trumpets and the calls and the war cries, the animals panicked, trampling Hannibal's own men. And those elephants that did attack, they, they, they were harmless pretty much. Because what, what Scipio's tactic was, was to create these large passages in between the Roman ranks to allow the elephants to freely pass. And that's and and before he knew it, he was he was surrounded. And the first thing that he did was pull, or Scipio did was pull pull these tricks from Hannibal's book. He used Hannibal's tactics against himself. And the first thing that he did was defeating the the the, the Cathenian cavalry, and then encircling the enemy infantry and attacking them from behind, kind of like Battle of the Bastards. That's exactly the tactic that. Um, that Scipio used. And, you know, it was a closely fought contest, but Hannibal's veteran infantry were nothing. They couldn't handle it after sustaining all of those casualties and also having the enemy surrounding them on all, uh, at all flanks proved costly for Hannibal. And he had escaped the battle and he returned to Carthage where he, he, he retired uh, from war and, you know, spent out his days as a, as a statesman. <laughs> And after that, he had fled to, to, to Turkey to try and start a, another army to attack the Romans. And once the Romans had eventually found Hannibal, which I also don't understand how exactly, but the Romans, you know, so the Romans found him. And instead of, you know, being captured by the Romans, Hannibal decided to poison himself. And this was in in and around about his sixties, and that is the tale of Hannibal. Yeah, and that's how he that's how he passed. And that's and so basically, people. Okay, so Africanus, Africans, Af you know, mm, uh, the land of Africanus, basically, because he defeated Hannibal, and Hannibal was such a revered, um, such a revered general. Um, but that's one of the. The theories, so to speak, of where uh, Hannibal, I mean, where Africa got its name. See, and this actually brings us to the Libu people, or the Libyans, if you will. And their occupation of ancient Libya was first attested in the Egyptian language texts from the New Kingdom, especially from the Ramesses period. You see, the earliest occurrences were in Ramses II inscriptions. And as we know, there were no vowels in the Egyptian script like Duh! Come on, Becky. Like, the name Libu was written as R-B-W. You know? Libu. R-B-W, Becky. Like, duh, we all knew that. So, in Egyptian hieroglyphs, Libu, or Libya, was written as R-B-W. And Ramses the sixth or the third was the one that defeated the Libyans in the fifth year of his reign. And this brings us over to their neighbors, which were the Ethiopians. And the Ethiopians, according to Herodotus, was described as the farthest region of Libya, where the south declines towards the setting sun lies, a country called Ethiopia, the last inhabited land in that direction. There is gold obtained in great plenty, huge elephants abound, and with wild trees of all sorts and ebony. And the men are taller, handsomer, and longer lived than anywhere else. That is what's written in Herodotus, in Herodotus about Ethiopia. So, mm -hmm, mm, I, I, I don't know. I, I have, for me, my gut feeling. I don't know if you guys believe in Atlantis, but mm, that's just, it would make sense to me if it was on the western shoreline of Africa, of the Horn of Africa, if that's where Atlantis sunk, somewhere there. That's what I think about Atlantis anyway. I mean, no one, they haven't found it, but if it had to be geographically somewhere, I would put my money on it being around in that region of what Ethiopia is being described as. But basically, you see, what happened with uh, with the 
with the with the with the conquering or with the invading faces like the forces like the Romans and the Greeks and stuff like that. They assumed that the Libu or the Libyan people were the native or the were the, actually the were the holders of the country or the continent. You see, the since the the Sahara Desert had not been crossed and Congo had not been reached, they all assumed that Egypt and Libya were the seeing as that was the majority of the population around the top horn there of Africa. They assumed that because they had the masses of the numbers compared to the Ethiopians who were of darker skin, that the Landinati belonged to the Libyans or to the Libu. And that's why their maps were written Libya or Libu on them and Libya today from the translated uh, maps that you read. And it was actually shaped like an island. On their maps, there's an island that by the Sahara Desert there, that's where it's like a mini Australia basically. Well, not a mini Australia, a bigger Australia, but like it's like a mini Africa, sorry. Um and the Ethiopians were considered to be the minority. And only after further exploration did they find out um that, that was not that, that was not correct. Because the Ethiopians actually represented the rest of the continent, which was much bigger than they, they could have ever anticipated. And that their Libyan brothers and sisters, who had more European features, yes, or Arabic features even, and seeing as they were so close to Egypt and to the Mediterranean. So, as you can see as well from just this simple introduction of African uh, mythology, how very simple and straightforward African history is. There's no moral gray area here for good and bad people or right and wrong. I mean, Hannibal, yeah, I mean, Hannibal went through Spain, like all the way to Italy. I think this is probably the first and the last time that an African actually conquered Europe. That's probably, this is, I mean, I don't know, maybe you guys, maybe you guys know if, if any other African, uh, conquered, conquered Europe after. Hannibal. But uh, as far as I know, I know ugh, I'm not. I'm not asked to Google it really. I'm not really asked to Google people waging war. Yeah, like there's enough war here. There's enough war here. No, there's too much war here. <laughs> so the name Africa has a question mark surrounding it, and so does its origin. And and the one thing that pisses me off about Africa is when people talk about the size. Because size does matter. Any woman that tells you that size doesn't matter is talking shit. I'll tell you that right now. Size matters. Hmm? When they tell you that it's not about, it's, it's about the motion in the ocean. So, uh, uh, fuck that shit. It's not, it's not, the, it's not about what, it's not the, it's not the dog in the fight, the fight in the dog. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the size of Africa, which maybe if you guys can wrap your heads around this, but Africa, without containing any of its neighboring islands, can comfortably fit the United States. Listen to this. Africa can comfortably fit the United States inside it, inside its border, three times. And it can fit the UK 130 times over. Africa is home to 55 independent fucking nations and has over 200 speaking languages. So when I tell you I'm from Namibia and you say you have a fucking friend in Congo or in Nigeria, you must please, please, with all due respect, go and fuck yourself. I hate those fucking questions. Oh, do you know Mutumbo? Hut number 43, past the big bush on the right and then you take the path along the river, like fuck off. Come on, do we all know each other? We speak over 200 fucking languages in this beach. Over 200 languages. Show me a place that is more diverse linguistically. And you want to tell us that we're all the same. And this misconception that people have of this word tribal. Tribal was, was, was is a Greco-Roman, uh, uh, is a Greco-Roman term that was used to portray Africans or black people 
or Carthinians or whatever the fuck you want to call us, um, to portray us as uncivilized and undeveloped and to justify the expansion and the colonization of their regimes. That's why they called us tribal, because being tribal, being a small tribal, before you even get to tribal, how do you define a group, a, a small co collective, of, a collective of people? It's by calling them tribal, like villagers or some shit like that. And this was all just to, to, for the expansion of their fucking colonization and their regimes. And under the guise of being missionaries and spreading the European interpretation of the Christian Bible, it was under the guise of the Bible. Because even concerning the relationship between fucking Christianity and Africa, is what people think that, oh no, Christianity came to Africa through oppression and through colonization, and Christianity was brought to us by like the white people, and they came with their boats. Fuck no. There's a book that I've got here on my desk, it's called The African Bible. And uh, maybe you can read it, uh, or actually just go through it, because it, the the depictions and everything are are completely. It's just nice to read something that wasn't fucking stamped by King James. I don't know if anybody else feels this way. Like I, it's like yeah. I just you know having a different fucking interpretation from king james from a change is actually quite refreshing and i'm actually quite enjoying this african bible it's got um i don't know maybe i'll i'll add a picture of uh of noah like fucking noah looks like sam Numa. i don't know if you guys know sam Numa is maybe google him but it's like you know that liberation struggle beard that thick fucking beard like the fucking panthers the black panther not this fucking marvel bullshit the, the old school black panthers so it's that like Afro, you know, the neat Afro. And even in the Bible there, you can see this nigga been combing with something. You can see this nigga now been combing that Afro. And he's got like this thick beard. It looks fucking awesome. Uh, so maybe I, I'll, I'll put a picture of that African Bible in there. But this relationship between um, Christianity and Africa is one that I think needs some clarification. Because you see... Christian, Christianity started in the Levant region, and the Levant region, for those of you who don't know, is located between Africa and Europe. That's like that little strip that takes you, you know, to the Middle East. So in that Levant area um, is where the Bible started. And there are two instances, or three instances actually, where Africans are mentioned, but not once and never ever in either King James's or in the African Bible is the word Africa mentioned. Not once. And the first time that we meet Africa is when, um, I think it's Joseph, it's, it's in the Bible. I think it's when Joseph, It's not when Joseph, yeah. It's when Joseph took, uh, took, yeah, okay. So the first time that we found an African in the Bible was actually, I was just looking for the chapter because, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk shit, you know. So I was just looking for my, for my, for my, um, what you call that thing, for my bookmark, for my Bible, where I write all of my verses down, you know. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 14 through 15, it says, So he got up and he took the child and the mother to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod, fulfilling the prophecy that the Lord had spoken to the prophet, out of Egypt I shall call my son. You check. So that's the first time that Africa is mentioned, but Egypt more specifically. And then the second time that we find it is when Jesus is carrying the cross. And when Jesus is carrying the crucifix, a man by the name of Simon from Cyrene helps him bear the cross. And Cyrene is also a, another African, uh, another African, uh, a settlement or civilization or a region even, if you will, if you will give us that honor. State. Um, and then the third one is, I can't remember the guy's name, but I do know, I, I mean, I read it and then he, they, uh, it said that he was a eunuch. But he was also like a master. He was like basically, he was like the master of coins. Like, but he was a eunuch as well, and he might have actually been from Ethiopia. I can't remember specifically. I don't want to give you bullshit. But Jesus also made a eunuch um, that was from Africa, and those were the three African people. So Jesus was in and around the world. If he was really, then fine, our way. But there were Africans that knew of him. It's not like we were cut off 
completely from what was happening there that we did not know what was going on. So it's not like Jesus happened in a separate existence to what we know. And then one day these guys just rocked up with boats and then brought the Bible down. Nah, that's, that's not how, that's not how it worked out. That's not how it worked out at all. Cause you see what they did with the Christian, with what they did with the, with the, with the Christian Bible, um, from the Levant area, obviously. So the Bible went two ways around the Mediterranean. You know, it went up north towards Europe and then went, and then it came down south towards us. And, Oh, well, us meaning, like, I'm in the fucking south, in the fucking southwestern corner here, so it took a while to get here, but that's what I mean, is that it worked its way from from that region all the way down through Africa. And this African Bible, or the the version that, um, that we have, including, um, you know, the book of Enoch and all of these things that have been, that haven't been compiled compared to the King James version. You can see, you can, you can, you can see the differences. And the King James version has, you know, during the Renaissance period, what they did is they, this is when they start, like illustrations really started. And, you know, the printing, uh, and, the, and the printing of things. And this is when, the Europeans now really took what they had and turned everything into their likeness. So when they would talk about, this is where the brown-haired, fair-skinned uh, Jesus Christ comes from, is because it was from, the, it was from, it was from that time. And they would recreate, even look at, uh, if you look up um, fucking Hannibal, his statue, his statue, you'll, you'll say it's a white dude. I swear to God, you'll say it's like, you'll say that this guy's from, like, he's got, you know, you won't even say that he looks like he's maybe got some Mediterranean, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. You'll just say it's a white dude. And that just shows you how things, how the, how it gets from, from, from the page to, to whoever's ruling at the time, the Romans or the Greeks, and how they made it, and the reason that they made it in their own likeness is because they this would be the this would be the precursor for them for the, for the Greeks and for the and, and for the Romans this would be the precursor precursor why Jesus was the precursor for for European supremacy and that's when the African uh, diaspora started that's literally when it started after these guys took the text and illustrated it themselves and then they started this African diaspora. And when they started the African diaspora down here, it, it, it was rough because they were literally cutting lines, making lines in sand. See, Africans didn't migrate the way, like Africans migrate. So hunter-gatherers, right? The Khoisan, um, the Hottentot, these guys were, con were called um, hunter-gatherers. Not even hunter-gatherers. Only. Like the Bantus were more the ones that started like farming and keeping animals together. They're the ones that, um, that started now actually settling. But these hunter-gatherers would put, would know how much poison to put on the tip, on the tip of the, uh, on the top, on the tip of the arrow. Depending on the size and the maturity of the animal. And they would stalk it. Remember, you've got a fucking bow and arrow, so you there's, you have, you got to get close enough. And it's not like this thing shoots like a bullet. So you got to get close enough to hit it. And when once they hit the animal, they would follow it and they would chase it. And you know they would run like these, like like they say, like the Ethiopians and stuff, and the Kenyans run those long distance and those cross country things. The reason those fucking guys run like that is because those niggas was chasing food. P. Those guys would run for hours and sometimes even for days. Until that animal fell, and they knew exactly how much poison to put on the tip of the arrow, as to not uh, destroy the meat or have it circulate through the blood, and also poison themselves in turn, killing them and their families. And so, if the animals move seasonally, then you, in turn, as a hunter-gatherer, you and your family or your tribe of uncivilized people, as they'd like to have you believe, would then 
also migrate with the animals seasonally. So eventually, while you're migrating, these Europeans come along and they start fucking drawing lines in the sand. And the only thing that we had back in the day, if you look at all the other borders around the world, look at all of the other borders around the world, most of the borders in the world are, 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 are cut up with natural um, landmarks, mountain ridges, rivers, um, valleys, canyons, uh, deserts and shit. But only in Africa do you find fucking straight lines. Have a look. Pull out, pull, pull out, your, pull out your Google. Have a look. Just type in Africa. And now that we've already established that we are three times, our, our dick is three times bigger than America's, you can, besides the size, just look at the lines. And now use that, take into consideration that Africa is three fucking times the size of America, and now that straight line that you see is literally fucking straight. And how fucking far does it go? And what these guys did is while people are moving seasonally from one location to another, they're being blocked off. And they can't move to and fro as freely as they used to. And now you're separating families. And now you're separating cultures. And you're, you're putting everybody together. Which is exactly what made Africa the, the perfect fucking breeding ground for civil war. Because you're literally locking people up that don't speak languages, that, that don't speak the same languages, that have different beliefs. We've got people in Africa that are that are that are that are that, that follow Islam. We've got then you've got the Christians and then you've got the people. I mean, if you come down from the Nile, there were people that were still uh, that were still following following Zeus and the Greek gods. So now you've got this fucking furnace or or, or this pressure cooker with no release, and that's every fucking African country. And then you add fucking European influence on top of that. And it's not so fucking easy to say, yeah, but why don't you black guys just stick together? Which fucking black guys? I don't know this nigger. I don't know this niggers. Just because there's a line in the sand, now you want to say it's your neighbor. Fuck a neighbor, nigger. Everybody's been moving, doing their own thing, moving their own way. If there was a specific piece of land that you wanted, you fought for it and you got it. If you could not settle next door, if you could not compromise or marry in or do what was necessary and custom at the time. But blocking people from moving freely is what fucking killed us. Because we were moving as it is. And if you were in the south and you were moving to the north with the cycle and with the animals, then you found yourself completely fucked. You found yourself completely fucked up. And the one and another uh, misconception that people have is that Africans didn't build anything. Africans didn't build anything that lasts, at least. Besides Egypt, obviously. Mm -hmm. But what about Great Zimbabwe? Great Zimbabwe from 1100 to, uh, to 1550 was flourishing. Flourishing. And that was in the late Iron Age of Southern Africa. And the capital kingdom of Zimbabwe which was a state of the Bantu-speaking Shona people. If you guys don't know, now you know. Hmm? And this site was built in a fucking way that still fucking people can't believe. Hmm? All of these guys, they still can't believe how these guys did what they did down here in Zimbabwe. You can say what you want, say what you want. But the Shona people are not to be fucked with around here. They're to be respected out here. Because these people built the natural, they built on top of a natural citadel. A natural citadel. Let, just, just let that sink in. A natural citadel. Here in Africa, we have things like natural citadels. In Namibia, we have something um, that used to be where we used, like, uh, I think around my brother's time, when they, were, when they were growing up, I think we had it. I think I was still a bit too young around then. Or maybe like I was 15 or something. But there is this natural amphitheater that's located in the desert here, in the skeleton co in the in the coastal desert of Namibia. We have a natural a natural amphitheater. This is shit that we had by nature. We don't need to fucking go and build this. 
telling us that we we didn't build anything that lasted. That's because the gods gifted us with all of this shit built in. It's like, I'm going to buy you a crib, my child, but don't worry, I'm going to furnish the motherfucker for you too. You guys had to come along and then you guys had to furnish your own shit. We had natural amphitheaters and natural citadels. Anyway, I digress. So they've been building these monuments, but they used granite blocks to build. To, to build these blocks. And the catch, uh-huh, they built it without mortar. They built Great Zimbabwe without mortar. That's not the only example. If you look at Kilwa in Somalia, and Kilwa was, bought, was built mostly out of coral. And, you know, Great Zim was a landlocked, a, a trade network that ran up to Kilwa in Somalia. And from Kilwa in Somalia, guys were going to China, guys were going to Asia. Guys are going up to India. That was a trade network. Um, so saying that Africans didn't build anything is, is not, you know, that, that, that misconception can go, and, can go and be debunked. It can be, it can be, it can be, it can be debunked just like that. Come on, we didn't build anything. Yeah? We didn't, Africans didn't build anything. There you go. And I mean, I could go on and on, but, you know, it just becomes a bit redundant after that because there's so like, you can also research this stuff for yourself. Like, ain't nobody paying this nigga to fucking tell you niggas all of this shit. Like, you're supposed to know this, but the history has been, we've been robbed of our history. So allow me to reintroduce ourselves to ourselves. Hey, I should have actually started the episode like that. Allow me to reintroduce ourselves to ourselves. Hmm? We're in African. Mm. But I don't know, what would you rather want to call yourself? If we couldn't call ourselves African, what would a, a, a compromised a compromise be? Would you be happy with a uh, with Libu or a Libyan? Or, or what would what would your preferred? And obviously you have to justify it, but fuck, even if you don't have to justify it, let me know. Jump in on the DMs there or... Remember the email address, justinhungle at gmail. I mean, yeah, it's my personal one, but yeah, fuck it. Go ahead, justinhungle at gmail.com or shithappensthenlife at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can find us on our Facebook page at shithappens, uh, at shithappensthen. Oh, fuck, I think I just fucked all of that up and I can't remember. Okay, so just cancel everything that I just fucking said now. Email me at justinhungle at gmail.com or shithappensthenlife at gmail.com. And then shit happens then live on our YouTube channel and then H S H T L. I think it's late. I think it's late. I think it's well late. S H T L um, as well is our name on YouTube. Uh, otherwise you can just get a hold of us at shit happens then life on our Facebook page. My apologies for that, gents. And ladies. Or ladies and gents, depending on how it floods your boat. Uh, so the last thing that I want to talk about, obviously, I mean, besides the, the geography uh, of Africa the, that I that I touched on now, is the is this power structures that we had in Africa, and the power structures that we had in Africa comprised of a variety of different ones, because you had provinces. It was you have to live in the time in order for it to fucking make sense. Because it's very easy for us to read one line to another and that's 200 years, but you try going over the last 200 years simply in this fucking time or the, the last 30 years of this time and there's so much shit that has happened, it would seem unfair to just overlook all of it without detail. But the, the just, the but of what I'm trying to say is that Africa contained a, vi a variety of power structures from kings and queens to chiefdoms and, uh, and lead and other leaderships that were also led by councils and forums. And when the British and the European, um, and the uh, Europeans, uh, imposed something called indirect rule, which was a system of government where one nation would be governed by another, but it would still be able to retain its administrative and legal powers. But the borders now stopped people from migrating seasonally. In turn, keeping those people inside, working and working and working. And what would happen here is that they would take the 
so if you weren't working in the mines or if you weren't like for instance in Congo if you weren't there fucking getting the rubber for for King Leopold then you were left you weren't allowed access into the city so only people that had money and money you could only get from Europeans because Africans didn't make the fucking money so the Europeans would say okay no the only way for you to get into the city is if you have money the only way for you to get money is to work and normally the only person that you can work for for money would be for a European because they're the ones that hand out the money it's theirs they brought it so if you didn't work in the mines or wherever you could on the plantations just outside of town or whatever the case was then you were forced banished basically in the wilderness to fend for yourself and those people that lived that had the, the the town passes or the city passes were allowed to indulge in some of the benefits while still obviously unfairly treated but they were allowed to indulge in some of those in some of those benefits and the perfect example that we have one here is Namibia in Namibia we had a town called um, Oranjemund well, we have a town called Oranjemund. I don't know, I say had like a past tense, but it's basically becoming a ghost town now because of this, during the apartheid rule, all of the diamonds were located in Oranjemund. I've seen photos in uh, in my aunt's and my uncle's homes of Oranjemund back in the day. And it's taken, the sun sets on the west coast of Namibia. And you can literally see the fucking beach for miles and miles and the fucking beach is glistening. Not the ocean. The beach is glistening with diamonds. And they closed that fucking town up. And you had to go through there with passes. And the only people that were allowed were people that were either working there as a nurse or a postman or a, or a teacher or a miner or whatever it was. These guys used to get like milk delivered to their doors and all of this shit. Um, like they were, they were basically living in some, in some shit that wasn't real. I mean, look at it. Those guys came out, David, like, education was good and all of that stuff, like, yeah. But everybody else was, was cut out. The, and this place was cut out from the rest of the, from the rest of the, from the rest of the country. This town was basically run by the diamond company, by the diamond mining company, it appears. And now, the town has basically been given back to the country and guys are like, uh, what the fuck are we supposed to do with this? What are we supposed to do with this? Because now it's been raped, it's been pillaged. So how do you, what, what do you do? How do you, what happened to all of those diamonds that were mined there? You're telling me that you can't sustain a little town like that after all of those diamonds that have been there were mined out. But this is what happens in Africa. You know, instead of Namibia, you know, refining its diamonds, polishing them, and then exporting them. They're literally just taken in droves to God fucking knows where. And as to be is what happens to them. But yeah, that's 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 it. That's how that's how it happens. That's how they take over. They fucking will like like Scipio, use a Hannibal's tactic against them, fucking surround the you sur you surround the cavalry, defeat the inter infantry, and then you surround them. And then once you've surrounded them, you detect who comes in and out. And then you suffocate them from within. You suffocate them. Rape them of their minerals, resources and their women. Burn their fucking histories and their flags. Kill their men. And then you move on. That's the story of Africa. You can see it everywhere. Look at South Africa. Look what happened in South Africa, in Kimberley, when they started finding that gold and shit. The diamonds there, Shandy's there. Same thing. Same thing. It's a story that is, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pattern that has been repeated time and time again. Yeah. Okay, I think it's probably time. My fucking, I'm not going to do this take again like it's been fucking long. So maybe it's time we take a break. Because if I fuck up now, like I need to save the game. Basically, that's what I'm about to do. You can call it an ad break. I'm basically saving the game. Going to get myself some of that butternut soup that I made earlier on. And I will check back in with you guys in five. Enjoy the ad break. It'll feel like two seconds. I swear, baby. I swear, baby. It'll feel like two seconds. You won't even notice that I'm gone.
you won't even notice that I'm gone. I don't know if we'll have advertising, if we have advertising this week. Do we have? I don't know. I didn't get any copy for advertising. I, well, enjoy the advertising. And we will be back shortly after these messages. Hello, and welcome back to Shit Happens Them Life. My name is Justin Hungo, and we are navigating the fecal matter. Please keep your seatbelt fastened and don't stick your faces out of the window. We've been discussing uh, African mythology, or well, the origin of Africa, really. Now I think we'll be going into African mythology and the myths and the legends of African mythology. This is the interesting part. This is where it should start to get real. This is where it should start to go boom. This is the things that make you go. This is the things that go bump at night. You know, the creepy crawlies. The things that, we, that make us close our eyes and ignore the sounds. You know, when you open your eyes and you, you, can, you, you can hear yourself breathing, but your mouth is closed. And you can scream, but nobody can hear you. And you want to move, but you can't move. And so you start breathing faster. And here we are, and here we are. And you, out of the corner of your eye, you can see something in your room. And you keep calling out and you're calling out and but but nobody can hear you. And then it moves closer. And closer. This is the shit that we're talking about, fam. This is the shit that goes bump at night. The myths and the legends. And how things came to be. The many myths explain how the world came into existence. And we've already spoken about the ones that have come from the other side but now from here the Dogon people say the twin pairs of creator spirits or gods if you will called Numu hatched from a single cosmic egg sorry and other groups also speak of the universe beginning with an egg but people in both southern and northern Africa believe that the world was formed from the body of an enormous snake Snyoka and sometimes said to span the sky as a rainbow. The Fon people of Benin tell of Gu, the oldest son of the creator twins, Mao, who is moon, and Lisa, sun. And Gu, who would be Adam, or Cain and Abel, sorry, if you will. Okay, but yeah, technically the two gods. So Adam, Gu would be Adam, just to put it into retrospect. Uh, came to earth in the form as of an iron sword and then became a blacksmith. His task was to prepare the world for people. He taught humans how to make tools, which in turn enabled them to grow food and build shelters. The sand people, the bushmen of the south, say that creation was the work of a spirit named Dito who was alternately a man and many other things, such as a flower, a bird, or a lizard. <laughs> Myths from across Africa will tell you how death came into the world and the supreme God meant for human beings to be, uh, to be immortal. But through an unlucky mistake, they received death instead of, of eternal life. Some stories relate that the god told a cautious chameleon to carry the news of eternal life to earth, but a foster lizard with news of death arrived first. The Mende people of Sierra Leone say that a toad with a message, death has come, overtakes a dog with a message, life has come, because the dog stops to eat along the way. <laughs> That's actually fucking clever. That's quite clever. We have gods and tricksters, tricksters across the sea. See, between the 1500s and the 1800s, many a thousand of Africans were brought to the Americas as slaves. Thousands of them. And their myths and legends helped shape the black cultures that developed in the Caribbean islands and in the United States that we find today. The Caribbean religion known as uh, Vodan or Voodoo as we know it now, for example, involves the worship of the voodoo West African gods. Enslaved blacks also told traditional stories about their spider, Anansi, and the trickster, and the trickster hare. Anansi came to be called Anansi, and the ha became 
Brerer, brother, rabbit. The character who appears in the Uncle Remus animal fables were collected by Joel Chandler Harris in the late 1800s. Boom. And you guys say we don't have knowledge? Hmm? You guys say we don't have knowledge? Hmm? See, this thing about knowledge, I don't understand. You guys say that we don't have knowledge. When, in actual fact, the first Caesareans, the first successful Caesarean was performed in, in about the 1800s by Ugandans. You guys can Google this. Google this out and tell me. Let me just look for my notes here. I've got my notes here. So the first, uh, yeah, the first, um, the first successful uh, caesarean was it was done in Uganda. Yet they would have you believe that it was done by a British person. Come hmm. James Miranda Stewart Barry is the person that officially officially did the first caesarean when it, when it was actually perfected in India, uh, in, in Uganda. And the James, and uh, Oliver James Miranda Stewart, Barry, is not a man. Mm -mm. That actual person where they felt the need to throw masculine names in front and at the back of was a woman. Probably Miranda Stewart Barry or Miranda Barry. But Miranda was the woman that performed the first caesarean in, or in the UK after the Ugandans had done it. And in the 1700s, when the smallpox epidemic was rampant in Boston, there was an African man by the name of Unesmus who had recalled the procedure done to him in Africa before he had been put onto, a, onto the boat to America. And he remembered, he remembered the, the, the procedure. He, if, he was a slave. All he needed to do was shut the fuck up. Because you see, what the Africans had done, they had already, um, they had already immunized themselves. So they had immunized themselves against smallpox. So all they had to do was shut the fuck up. All they had to do was shut the fuck up and all of them would have died. And then you know that house nigger. There's always that house nigger in the group. Just massa. The nest moves just massa. And they're like, shh, Nessie, Nessie. Nessie, keep quiet. Yeah, they're just sitting there like the white people just... <coughs> white people just dying all over Boston. And then these Africans ain't even coughing, bro. And then the one guy checks and he's like, oh. Oh, God, I think a man have a... The smallpox. And they say, what? I think they have the smallpox. And then Onesi clicked. You know, Onesi is never the guy that is in the conversation. He's always the guy that's sitting on the side there that's listening to the conversation. You know, that house nigger, that bitch nigger. He's always the guy that's like on the side. He's never really in the group taking any action. Just like from the side. So this guy thought he would probably get some favor or they'd free him or some shit. He's like, Master, Master, Master. The guy snitched. And then, um, what is his name? Cotton, Cotton Mathis or something like that. He was inducted into the Royal, into the Royal Society of Medicines or some shit. And then Onesi, Onesmus, uh, was, uh, disappeared from the history books after he tried to buy his freedom. It said he tried to buy his freedom. Not that he successfully bought his freedom. So Nesidango fucked up everyone. You see, when Kanye West said that slavery was a choice, this is that choice made by Nessi, by one man. Hmm? This is kind of like Judas. And Nessi kept his fucking mouth shut. <laughs> Nessi kept his mouth shut. All of those guys in Boston would have died, bro. And then, the, the, then Boston would have been something... Boston would have been Atlanta. <laughs> um, so, like, other myths that we have in Africa that explain death. 
uh, come into the world. Uh, the, the other misses explain why death came into the world. Uh, apparently, because people or animals angered the gods. Sorry, Nessie, man. You know I didn't mean that, bro. I'm sorry, bro. I know you were doing the right thing by saving people. I'm just taking ass, nigga. You're in a house, nigga. Um, the newer people of Sudan blamed death on a hyena who cut the rope that connected heaven and earth. Their neighbors, the Dinkas, say that a greedy woman, not satisfied with the grain the high god gave her, planted more grain. She hit the god in the eye with her hoe, and he cut the connecting rope. A tale told by the Luai people relates that a chameleon cursed people with death because a man broke the laws of hospitality by refusing to share his food with the chameleon. And that's very important, the laws of hospitality, which also, I'm, I'm sorry that I keep going back to this um, as, a, as a reference point, this Game of Thrones, Shandy. But the thing I love about George's writing, George R. R. Martin's writing, is that he layers his characters. Uh, as an actor, you look for something called a three-dimensional character. That's a, a, that's a character that has stakes, a character that is fighting to live for something. The, the stakes must be high. The stakes must be great in order for it to take place. I can't make something about um, Samson and then like fucking half of the book is Samson sleeping. Like that's not, that's not interesting. There are many other things that happen in Samson's life, for example, that are, that are, that, that are the highlights. So you're not going to take the, the low stakes and add that into the story. And that's what I love about George is that he, he and he uses multiple characters to build these three dimensional characters. Cause when you're working on someone that doesn't exist, how do you round them out completely? And George makes them three three dimensional by, for instance, Tyrion Lannister being um, the Hunchback and uh, Henry VIII and uh, Napoleon. All of these guys that sort of had this the, the small man syndrome and like or, or like you know the Hunchback, like they've had uh, disfigured bodies or, or, or faces, but they were born in wealth and how they deal with that. But not only externally, but internally. When you have an inner monologue, when you hear the inner thoughts of a character, or when you can see a great actor can show you his inner thoughts through expression or through eyes, just through being. They say, live in the space, live on the stage, live in the circumstance. And that's what George does. So here in Africa... Their customs that we have, especially with our aunts and with our uncles, especially the old, the older school folk, those those ones that are hitting like the sixties now and the, like the seventies. I, uh, my uncle, uh, God rest his soul, Uncle Kapia, we would yo. There was one night we went out, me and my cousins, and we got hella crunk. <laughs> Got a hella crunk. I think we only slept like fucking two hours. And it's breakfast. Uncle K sitting at the table. Like the bacon is frying. The eggs are there. You know the kitchen. Like we all got like cousins and sisters. And you know how it is in the morning. Like, you know, we all making coffee. Well, they all making coffee and shit. And she, we just sitting there and like the smell is killing me, bro. The smell is fucking killing me. All I want to do is get into the car and drive home. And Uncle K will not let me leave. There is no fucking way that I'm allowed to leave Uncle K's house. And normally the minimum is having a glass of water when you're coming to an African household or something. You can't come to a, like a family member's house or a, a traditional African person's house and just come and go. You need to at least sit down and have, whether it's milk or normally like, you know, we have the farm milk, like the goat milk or the cow milk from the farm or whatever. But you have to have a glass of something and eat something before you can leave. And Uncle K wouldn't let me go, yo. Mm-mm. He's like, we need to break bread before you can go. Sit with your brothers and eat. And I was like, God damn, Uncle K. <laughs> the last thing I want to do now is eat. But yeah, we chowed and we chowed. All of us hungover as a motherfucker sitting at that table eating breakfast with our uncle. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Or that's the way it is in Africa. At least in Namibia, wherever we can find it, we appreciate it. And we try and replicate it as much as we can. But times are changing. But that thing of, you know, 
the uh, that uh, the law of hospitality kind of and the reason I brought up uh, Game of Thrones is because of game, uh, the Red Wedding, for instance. You know, you can't kill somebody that you have invited into your home, regardless of what they've done to you. If you have offered them hospitality, hospitality must be sought out. I mean, it must be fulfilled. You can't, like at a wedding, kill someone or. You know, when you're supposed to be feeding them or looking after them. So that's just, yeah, that was just very interesting for me. I'd like to see, oh, I'll actually do some research on my own to see if maybe he got that from Africa or from African cultures or if that's also shared in other European, European cultures, perhaps. And then the twins, many African people regard twins as special, almost sacred beings. Twins represent the duality, the tension or balance between paired or opposing forces that is basic to life. Some groups, such as the non-Bantu peoples of Niger and Congo, they believe that twins of opposite sexes are symbols of this duality. Twins appear in many African myths. <coughs> in some stories, they are brother and sister who unite in marriage. In others, they seem to be two sides of a single being, the supreme god of the Fon people of West Africa is Mau Lisa. As we said earlier, Lisa is Usan. Hmm? Lisa is sun, and what was moon? Do you guys remember? Mau. Mau is moon. There we go. Very good. You guys are learning. Nice one. Again, Lisa is sun. And Mau, moon. Very good, guys. Very good. Okay, in West Africa is Mau Lisa, usually described as brother and sister twins, who became parents of all the other gods, also born as twins. Mm -hmm. So the first twins. We also have tricksters and animal fables. Many African myths featured a trickster, the trickster may be a god or an animal or a human being and his pranks and mischievous causes mad trouble and havoc amongst gods and amongst humans or amongst gods and humans. West Africans tell many tales of a wandering trickster spirit known as Ishu among the Yoruba and the Legaba among the Fon. This trickster is associated with change and with quarrels. In some accounts, he is the messenger between the world and the supreme god. Animal tricksters are often small, helpless creatures who manage to outwit bigger and fiercer animals. Anansi, for example, the spider trickster of the Ashanti people, is known throughout West and Central Africa. Tortoises and hares also appear as tricksters. In one such tale, the hare tricks a hippopotamus and an elephant into clearing a field for him. Other stories about animals show them helping humans. The sand and bushmen say that the sacred prey mantis gave them words of fire. And the Bambara people of Mali say that an antelope taught them agriculture. A popular form of entertainment is the animal fable, a story about talking animals with human characteristics. Many fables offer imaginative explanations of features of the natural world, such as why bats hang with their heads downward, or why leopards have spots. So we have, as you can see, an enormous a base to start, not even base, an enormous source of information here in Africa, and stories, and none of them having to be more correct than the other, or more accurate than the other, seeing as we are so diverse and we are so and we're split so far apart, and how huge the continent is. And next time someone tells you, or next time you look at Google Map, just remember how big Africa really is. And remember how much they are playing, they play hating us. Don't be a house nigger. Don't be, don't be a house nigger. Tell them, Africa is three times the size of the United States of America, God damn it. And size does matter. We don't give a fuck. We got the big dick now. I might have water here. It's ironic because I'm in Africa. <laughs> <coughs> 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 huh? 
I just mean I haven't been to the, I haven't gotten any water, ironically from the bottle either, not from the tap. Um, I, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, today's episode of Shit Happens Then Life. I hope that, you know, you guys have a good week ahead. I know that this shit was supposed to come out yesterday, but what I realized that the preparation and the amount of fucking times I do this shit over and over and over again, especially the longer it is and the more, um, in the more accurate you have to be with some of these things. Like I don't, I don't want to be out here shooting shit for, for all of this time, loosely trying to remember dates and figures and names and shit. Uh, I wanted to come to you with something that was uh, concrete, made sense and hopefully entertained you. I hope that you've enjoyed yourself. I hope that you've learned something. Uh, I hope that you can take something away from this. And if at anything, I hope at least maybe it just helps you fucking kill some time on the way to work and maybe it doesn't feel like a schlep on your commute. I've been Justin Hungo. I've been your pilot through the fecal matter once again this week. Until next time. <laughs>